0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. When Lloyd Douglas, author of The Robe and other novels, attended college, he lived in a boarding house. A retired wheelchair-bound music professor resided on the first floor. And each morning, Douglas would stick his head around the door of the teacher's apartment and ask the same question, well, what's the good news? And the old man would pick up his tuning fork and tap it on the side of the wheelchair and say, that's middle C. It was middle C yesterday, and it'll be middle C tomorrow, and it'll be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat, and the piano across the hall is out of tune. But my friend, that is middle C. You and I need a middle C. Haven't you had enough change in your life? Relationships change, health changes, the weather changes. But the God who ruled the earth last night is the same God who rules it today. The God who ruled the earth before the foundations of the world existed knew your name. Same plan, never wavered, same love. You know more later, God, than a pebble can alter the rhythm of the Pacific Ocean. God is our middle sea. A point in a turning world. Don't we still need a point? Don't you just need to know this morning this very simple truth, that God knows your name. John 10.3 says that the sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name and then leads them out. Every story has a name, every face is special, and every sheep have a name. Far too frequent we've been on the receiving end on unfair labels and names, and yet there's a shepherd who knows your name and doesn't even flinch, no matter what you do or what you've done or what you've been labeled as, that there is a shepherd who knows and understands more than anyone else. Else. And last week we were in John chapter 10 and Jesus has been revealing more and more about himself. And this is Passion Week. And before Jesus goes into Jerusalem for Palm Sunday. Um, but he's increasingly going toward the city and he's revealing more and more about himself. And he says this, and as he continues to go through Jerusalem, and as he gets up to the point of Jerusalem, he continues to move forward into the city. And he says this in John 10, 9, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And when you think of a gate or a door, it's the place where things come and go. And there's something on one side, and there's something on the other side. And we've heard Jesus say that he's the bread of life, and he's the light of the world, but there is just something different about being the gate that brings the hair up on our neck just a little bit. And when Jesus says there's a sheepfold and there's someone who opens the gate and then that gate, it's almost as if Jesus is turning up the heat of the understanding of who he is. And in those days, shepherds would act as the boundary between the front of the sheep pen and then uh, the sheep in the sheep pen from the thieves and robbers. And during the night, the shepherds would lay serving as the door all while the sheep would be huddled together in that pen. Jesus says that there may be some people, including the Pharisees and false teachers, who might be entering the sheepfold by another way. And the only way to enter the sheepfold is through the gate. And Jesus says, that is through me. And Jesus Jesus promises to us that in the desert, among the perilous and chaotic voices that this world may offer, that he will always lead us. And in those days, those sheep pens, more than likely... And shepherds in those days, the majority of them would have been out in desert. And the terrain of that day was rugged, and it also changed terrain. There'd be desert, and then when you go into Jerusalem, it becomes a little bit more lush and and green. But the terrain of the day where the shepherds would have been out in the fields, sometimes would have been chaotic and a desert-like scene. And so as we Discern the voice of God. Jesus always brings us clarity. And in fact, he brings us clarity when he says he is the gate. He, all these statements bring us clarity as to who Jesus is. So as we discern the voice of God and listen to the voice of God, we will no doubt be thwarted off from the truth of Jesus. Satan will never tell you to share our faith, nor will he tell us to share the truth about Jesus. Do you hear the voice of the Good Shepherd calling this morning? The voice of the Good Shepherd that says, I'm not finished with you. Blank. Began a good work in you. Blank. It's not over for you and your family. Blank. And you can fill in your name. You don't have to be carrying that weight around you. Blank. And did you come in carrying that weight this morning? Stones in a backpack that have debilitating weight on it. Regret for the last time maybe you lost your temper. Regret for the day you lost control. Regret for the moment you lost your pride regret for the years, you lost your priorities. We began a series around the person of Jesus and particularly the very significant statements that Jesus makes in his ministry. There are seven statements in the gospel of John that Jesus makes across his ministry, and there are more. There are, these are more than just simple statements, but they give us a window into our life and why we believe in the person we place our faith and trust. And we're going to go look through these seven I am statements of Jesus throughout the gospel of John. And here's where we've kind of been. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. These I am statements recorded in scripture, they all reveal the depths of the Christian life and how we as God's children can go deeper with Jesus Christ in the present tense. When Jesus says I am, he's saying that he's a present reality and that includes even for us here today. And so we, like Paul, can say in Galatians 2.20 that the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we affirmed last week that Jesus is not a was, Jesus isn't his. Amen? That he's alive and well, and he is in the present tense. These are realities for us today. Whoever comes to faith in Jesus can know him right now in the present tense. So we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures at Washington Union. And I pray if you don't have a home church, or if you don't call this your home church, I pray that you have one that does preach and teach from the scriptures faithfully it's on page 759. If you want to follow along in the Bible in front of you, it's on the screen behind me as well. John 10, 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And in verse 14, I am the good what? Shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also and they too will listen to my voice and thou shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And this command I received from my Father. Did you notice twice in that that we're told that Jesus is not only a shepherd, but he is a good shepherd? He's a shepherd that lays his life down for his sheep. And we're told that twice. We're told that. But is he good? Whatever brought you here to church today, we've all got different thoughts about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Whatever brought us here today, we've all wondered or wondering right now, is Jesus really good? Can the Jesus that we're talking about here say that he's a good shepherd? I mean, this is a statement, is he really good? Is he a shepherd? Is he a good shepherd? And all we had to approach Jesus. And in those days, shepherds were everything to their sheep. Sheep would not survive without the shepherd. In no way, shape, or form would sheep be able to function in that society in that day. All dependent upon the shepherd's direction and care of the shepherd. All of it was on the care and survival of the shepherd. We human beings are likened to sheep in the scriptures many, many times. But in Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And none of us are exempt from being born lost and in sin. We are all in need of being led and in need of being brought back home into relationship with God. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us on Calvary. And his heart moved toward us. People without a shepherd, and his heart cannot bear to go without you and I. You see, God even demonstrated that when we were lost, that he brought us back anyway, that Christ died for us. Literally, sheep that have gone astray, that the effects of sin are separation from God, and God would so choose that when he fashioned this world, he couldn't imagine a world without you and I in it. And just shortly after this encounter, we enter in today's story, and Jesus is saying that he's going to lay down his life palm sunday everything is victorious everything victorious and significant and parades and cheering and as jesus makes his final lap into jerusalem after a three-year ministry journey he's a 33 year old stone welder carpenter jack of all trades and he's caused quite a stir amongst the community there in fact there's some people there willing to try to kill him and to take his life it's the last week, it's the week of Passover on that day, and the stage is set, and the people line the streets, and Jerusalem's population every Passover went from 40,000 to 200,000. People traveled there, and it's buzzing with anticipation. And a few guys a ago, there was a guy named Lazarus who got raised from the dead. He was really, really dead, and they got their palm branches in hand, and like every other king and formal king that's come marching in and entering the city, they do the celebratory praise, and the noise is deafening. And the crowd chants, Hosanna. And the children get on top of the parents' shoulders, just wanting to peer over the people, just dying to get a glimpse as to what's happening. All the while in the backdrop, the religious leaders of the day got their hit lists with two guys in mind, Lazarus and Jesus. And it's like a political power keg in that day with Jewish nationalism on full display, and the people are hungry, and the buzz of the city, and the Passover is on. And yet what we know from the Palm Sunday story is this church, that even though Jesus is three or four days away from his death, he still has his eyes on the broken. And as the gospel accounts follow this, Jesus has his eyes on broken people. You might recall that the crowds follow him and continue to follow him toward Jerusalem along the pilgrimage. And all the gospel accounts give us snapshots as to who Jesus is. And in turn, they're communicating to us what Jesus is like and what he's done in his ministry. And they've all got his eye, their eyes on the broken. And the storm is brewing, yet God always sees people who are on the margins, even the Greeks who came from faraway places to see him. And as Matthew, Mark, and Luke put it, um, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke put this um, in their gospel accounts that Lazarus, people, Lazarus, Zacchaeus, and Bartimaeus all highlight that road into Jerusalem. Lazarus was a guy from a special small family of three people. He was deathly sick and he dies, and then Jesus comes and raises him to life. That is the heart of Jesus. And just before the triumphal entry in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells a guy to come out of a tree, and a guy gets saved and dines with him in his home that evening. And a guy, normally a Jew like Jesus, would not associate himself with a guy like Zacchaeus and would not even go near his house with a 10 foot pole. So different social class and his name was Zacchaeus and that's the heart of Jesus and then in Mark's gospel Jesus gives a blind beggar sight a man who's lived life next to the road with the grocery cart he's that guy who everyone passed around rolled their eyes around eye to eye with him and Jesus lifts him up to a status he's never known a God who concerns himself with people very broken people and Jesus is good. He's a good, he's good because he leads broken people toward life abundant. And how does he do that? It's only through the cross. Only through the cross. And here's what's amazing about all this. Jesus could have left during all this. After getting arrested. After getting unfairly traded with a murderer. He could have gone away from this. He's God's son after all. He could have had that power to do that. He had the choice to let the crowd win. He had the choice, and He chose us, and He chose you. Love prompted otherwise. Jesus walking up to the cross, looking into the future to right here, shrugging His shoulders and saying, what's the use? Because don't skip over this. Jesus is all human and all God. And if the all human part would have walked up to the cross and said, forget it. They haven't figured it out since Adam. They're not going to start now. I might as well just save myself from this torture and the discomfort, and I'll just let them burn. In Luke's gospel, we come to a story about Jesus highlighting how he loves lost people, and he wants them found, and will go out of his way to find lost people. In Luke 15, page 740 of the Bible in front of you, Luke 15, 1 through 6, it's on the screen. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes who? Sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. We find in this parable a man with one lost sheep, just one, yet this one sheep out of the 99 that this man, one sheep was so worth finding, so valuable, that he risked the 99 to find the one sheep. It's significant that actually in the earliest existing statue from the Western Church dates from the 3rd century. It's a statue of the Good Shepherd bearing the recovered lamb on his shoulders. And it's thought to have come from the catacombs, and the statue can be seen today in the Lateran Museum in Rome. And besides its Christian theme, one of the distinguishing features of the statue is that the Good Shepherd is the sweetness of his countenance. Evidently, the persecuted church found immense comfort in this parable of the lost sheep. Jesus' delicate mention that he lays it, did you notice this? He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing that picture's tender love. The lost sheep is more than a missing piece of livestock. He spies the lost sheep alive. He races to it, picks it up, chucks it over, and plucks away some thorns from it, nuzzles it, and joyfully hosts it high on his shoulders and strides home. Amen. J. Ellsworth Callis from Asbury Seminary said, while reflecting on the whole chapter of 15 of Luke, said that there's nothing that the divine heart wants so much as to have the whole family come home, to have all the lost sheep and lost coins and lost sons and daughters found. We find in this story just pleasure in finding the lost sheep and rejoicing in it, because at one time, church, you and I were that one. Why would God continue to look after you if you've wandered off? Because you belong to somebody. You have an owner. Even if you're bored or disinterested in God, Jesus is saying in this parable that God's going to find you, even if you've completely strayed away. You're never too far gone out of God to return home, and you're never too far out of reach to reach God's abundant shepherding care. And He'll throw you over His shoulders and lead you home. And God even rejoices in the presence of his angels when lost sheep are found. Sometimes the uninformed think as God is maybe an immense impassive sea where the ocean of his being is neither torn by storms nor shimmers of life. But this is a different description of God. Here is a laughing and congratulating and hugging God in this part. And he rejoices over one new, newly found sinner than he does over a multitude already in his fold. There is initial lively joy that momentarily outshines settled joys, a greater joy of the safety of one who's in jeopardy than for that who is secure. Just as one rejoices at the recovery of a sick child, than at the, the, the health of one's family. Notice too when, that when God rejoices, heaven rejoices as well. Why this heavenly rejoicing of God and his angels? It's because a sinner repents. He turns from sin. And when I think of God as shepherd, I go to familiar texts that you're probably, maybe some, of, maybe some of you are thinking of. Maybe you've heard the psalm in these first few lines. The Lord is my what? Shepherd, I shall not be in want. I shall not be in want. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. It's ironic where this psalm shows up, isn't it? Sometimes they show up in homes on tea-stained towels where it seems as though everybody's in want, and souls never seem to get restored. And it's spoken and prayed and chanted like a lucky charm over frightened hearts where fear seems to rule one's heart. And for centuries, the 23rd Psalm has been a resting place for the human soul. Thousands upon thousands, one by one, have found rest for their souls. Such famous words hang in the lobbies of hospital rooms. Their patients aim to seem to find rest for their souls. Famous words have been scratched onto by prison walls, by prisoners who may never find green pastures ever again. Farmers working sunup to sundown, aristocrats, women who labor, men who've labored, king and paupers, steel mill workers in western Pennsylvania. Tribes in the remotest parts of Africa are surprised by this text. And folks who have most of their life in the rearview mirror find rest in this text. And those who have life still ahead of them find it. A word spoken at presidential funerals. And assuredly, this morning, this word is being spoken at a graveside of a faithful servant who will never make the newspaper. But are they true? Perhaps today we look around and we see everything and everyone to be in want, souls indulging, and might I say, binging, in money, and sex, and entertainment. We claw and find our way to indulge our soul in anything but the good shepherd. And how many times have those words fallen across the ears of those who have been through very dark turns, across sleepless nights, across the ears of those who have had very dark turns and who have been spoken under starry nights in western Pennsylvania? where sleep was hard to come by. A familiar text that one's loneliness, despair, end of your rope, abandonment on life itself, somehow, some way, tired and calloused and bruised fingers open up the pages to Psalm 23. And it's in this word where weary hearts and souls are met with the good shepherd. Psalm 23. It's on the screen behind me. It's, forgive me, I forgot the page number, but Psalm 23 says this. We started with the Lord as my shepherd; I lack nothing. But He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He what refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name'sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no what evil. For You are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He leads us. He notice that he leads us toward refreshment to our souls. And sheep could go days without water. But when they found water, they drank and drank and drank and drank. And so too does the good shepherd. He leads us toward places of refreshment. He does not lead us toward places of abandonment or uncertainty. In an age of uncertainty or distress or abandonment, we wonder, does God do that? More often than not, it's people who experience tremendous amounts of pain and loss and they wonder if quiet waters are the result of the good shepherd's leading. You see, you and I, we have walls hanging on the portraits of our life right now, like failing health, broken hearts, empty wallets, broken promises, family dissension, hope and short supply. We don't find quiet waters or the birds chirping next to them. We hear the complaints of our neighbors. We, don't, we hear the demands of our bosses. We find more phone calls reminding us of our credit score. We know that I know that Jesus Christ transporting us out of our situation right now is not going to happen. It's not going to transport, and we're not going to be transported out of this life and a fanciful part, we're going to walk out the church doors and probably walk into the same situations that we walked in with. But if I'm able to do one thing today, is to declare the promises of God in this text. And to remind us over and over again that we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. All of our debt paid. And it's there where we find rest for our souls on Calvary long ago. We find rest in His leading in all of our difficulty and in ourselves to seek and to search and to find meaning and purpose in life, we will drink dirty water and try to satisfy our fulfillment. So wherever you are today, whatever brought you here today, the anxiety or the concern, or you've been a follower of Jesus since elementary school or five minutes ago, or if you have no need for God for your life, God gives refreshment for your soul. He's showing us a way. He's not behind us yelling at us, but he is clearing a path forward ahead for all of us, a future, showing us the way forward. I don't know if you've heard about the boy from Scotland and his fourth finger. The story goes like this. Sometimes children don't have the opportunity to learn to read or write. And sometimes they're, they're simple-minded and unable to learn like other children. However, these children may have a true faith in the Lord Jesus as their Savior. The parents of a boy in Scotland died, and he was very young, and he had no one to care for him. So he went to live with his aged grandfather, who was a shepherd. And his grandfather lived near the Scottish highlands, which were very rugged and very hilly. And the grandfather asked the boy to watch the little flock of sheep. The boy would gaze at the rugged hills with admiration. And this helped him forget the sorrow that he would felt when his parents died. His grandfather was a fine Christian man. He told him of many stories in the Bible, especially stories about shepherds, how both Moses and David had been shepherds. The young boy would sit in front of the fire at night and listen with great interest to these these stories. The grandfather was careful to tell him about the best of all shepherds, the Lord Jesus, who was called the Good Shepherd in the Bible. And he told him how the Good Shepherd loved his sheep so much that he even died to save them. The good shepherd would never let anything harm them or take his sheep away from them. The boy had never learned to read, so the grandfather taught him a very simple way to remember the five lovely words from the good shepherd from Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. He took the boy's left hand and he said each word as he would point to a particular finger. Soon the boy could learn to say the words himself, holding each finger as he did so. The grandfather noticed that the boy seemed to take special pleasure in the fourth word, my. And he held his fourth finger very tightly. And as the boy grew a little bit older, he was unable to take the sheep by himself to the highlands to find pasture. He was able to take sheep by himself to the highlands to find pasture. Late one afternoon, the old man became very worried. The weather was very cold and it had been snowing for some time, and now the sky was becoming darker and darker. Then he saw the snowstorm that was already turning into a blizzard, and quickly he put on his coat and hat and raced out of the house, and he started toward the highlands. However, the fierce winds and blinding snow made it impossible. He would soon lose all sense of direction, and also his old and weary body was unable to go any further." With a heavy heart, the old man returned to his little cottage and slumped down on the chair in front of the fire. Nothing could be done until the blizzard stopped. He prayed to to God to watch over the lad and to take care of him. He thought of all the things he had tried to teach him and hoped that he would not forget them. The old man spent a long and restless night sitting in his chair. Next morning, the snow had stopped and the sun began to shine so that the old man wasted no time. He knew the paths through the highlands and thought he knew where the lad might be sheltering. He forced his weary legs to go as fast as he could through the thick snow. And at last he came to where he had often told the lad to shelter if he ever needed to. He called as loudly as he could, but there was no reply. And suddenly in the distance he found a mound of snow. His heart sank as he raced toward it. And desperately he pushed the snow away and there he saw a little shepherd lad frozen to death. And the old man wept loudly as he looked at the little boy. Finally the old man continued to brush the snow away from his frozen body. Then he noticed that the lad's hands were clasped in a strange way. His right hand was firmly gripping the fourth finger of his left hand. The old man remembered how he taught the lad to say, The Lord is my shepherd. Holding a finger for each word. There was no doubt that the finger that the lad was holding stood for the word my. And the old grandfather lifted up his eyes and thanked God that this little shepherd lad had known that the good shepherd was his shepherd. And if we were placed in a situation of danger and death, Would we know the Lord in his word and be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd.